Uh, sticking with Patra, we have had a few questions come up about where where to rotate Patra, and in in particular, wanting to know will Marshawn eventually end up on that line with Potter and DeBrusque? Is that like the final goal? Is that something that um, would be a long-term line potentially? And so I guess we'll go, let's go to Scott first. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it makes sense to like eventually end up there, but obviously like the one issue there is who's going up to the Saka Pasternak line if, Marshand is with Potter and DeBrusque. And we've seen some Van Riemsdyk there. That's sort of like the only other natural fit. Um, and right now, Van Riemsdyk's playing so well with Coyle and Frederick that I kind of, in this moment, I don't think you're messing with anything. So, like, I'm not going to break things up right now and, and put Marshand with Potter and DeBrusque. But at some point, especially if Potter continues to play well, like, that makes a lot of sense as a second line. Um, I just think it, it might require you to make a move for another top six forward if, you know, in in an ideal world, you're keeping JVR with Coyle and Fredericks. So um, I would say possible. And, and if you end up there, it probably means something else has gone well or you've landed another good player. Um but I don't see it happening. Well, I'll say that. I don't see it happening right now, but obviously with Montgomery, anything could happen at any time. So don't get mad at me for suggesting this. And I'm talking to our listeners. This is just because this is actually something that Montgomery tried. You put Lucci there once. <laughs> um, Lucci is a left winger. Uh, he one time was rolling out a line with Lucic, Zaka, and Pasternak. So I know Lucic's not healthy yet, but he's getting there. Don't know if that's your, you know, you try that. <laughs> I don't know. Or if, like you said, Scott, you you have to go out and, and get another top six winger. Well, I, I'll i say this. Uh, if this is the year of opportunity, right, with this team, and because they have the luxury of the gap they have between them and the field right now, you know, at some point, they do have uh, a right wing in the system who is their top prospect or one of, and it was a point of game player around in Providence right now. Maybe there's an opportunity at some point to call Fabian Lysel up just to see what he can do for a couple of games, maybe with the intention of putting him back down afterwards. But I think, I think that the obvious answer is like, like, they need a top six forward um, added to this current Bruins roster. I'm not even saying Fabian Lysel is that guy or could be that guy this year. But I am interested to see, like, in this situation that is painted in this question, if you do drop Marshan down with Patra and DeBrusque, which we haven't really seen and we've been calling for it, and I don't want to touch the, uh, the, the JVR Coyle-Frederick line, yeah, I don't know. Could you guys see a window of opportunity window of opportunity for Lysel at some point for a trial? Yeah, I, I could. You know, he has Lysel has 10 points in his last seven games. Down in Providence, he's the leading scorer on the team. So I know for a lot of people, the last thing they saw from Lysel was a disappointing training camp 
in preseason. But as we said at the time, like you want him to go down to Providence and handle this situation the right way and get off to a strong start. Well, he's doing that. So um, that's encouraging. I don't think any sort of call-up is imminent. But yeah, at some point this year, it could certainly be in the cards, especially if there is, you know, an injury or two that opens up uh, an opportunity like we've seen with the Loran defense where it's like, you know, yeah, maybe everything else being equal and everyone being healthy, Lori probably wouldn't have been called up yet, but you get that opportunity. You get this look at him. You see how he does. I could definitely see something like that happening with Lysel at some point. Well, and that actually kind of brings me to this question too. Is it one or two games of Steen before they have to decide to send him down or have to, I think it's two games, right? before they might have to go back through the waiver process with him. So yeah, his, his next game will be his ninth. Once you get to 10, he would have to go through waivers again. So if he plays, if steam plays Saturday and Monday, um, he would have to clear waivers again if they wanted to send him down. And correct me if I'm wrong. Lucic isn't scheduled to come back in that time frame. Like that would be, they'd be missing each other by a game or two. Yeah. We don't really know on Lucic yet. Um, We know they're not really calling it a setback, but he was on the ice last week. He so far this week has not been on the ice. We'll see if he's out there Friday or not, but um, yeah. Montgomery said he's about a week behind we don't know exactly what the timetable was initially this Saturday is the first game he's eligible to come off long-term IR, but we don't know if like, did they originally think he was going to be ready for this Saturday or did they all along think it was going to be some point after that? So Lucic really could be anywhere from like a week away to possibly even longer than that. Like we just don't really know right now. And I, I asked those two things because if you're sending Steen down because you don't want to do you don't want to go through the waiver process again, do you bring Lysel up? Do you like do you elevate someone else up um, after Steen's nine games? So that's just just a thought. Um, if you're deciding to go that route, you'll need to bring someone else up from Providence more than likely. So um, there could be a rotation there. Yeah, I don't I don't think it it wouldn't be like sell just because the roles are so different. Um personally I would just keep playing Steen and worry about the waiver situation later. Um I I don't know. I mean I, I, on the one hand I get like the roster management part of it, but at the same time it's like okay, so you're gonna call you're gonna send Steen down after nine games because you don't want him to get to ten. So it's like well, then what? Does that mean you're not calling him up the rest of the year because you never want him to get to 10? Like That's true I, because it does – You it's might not, as well just play him. That's true. I mean, it's it's obviously a risk that someone else might pick him up. I mean, A.J. Greer did get picked up when they waived him. Uh, so uh, that's that's what you have to worry about. But, like, you've if you've exhausted his 10 games, then that doesn't mean he you send him back down and he comes back up. Like, no, that's it for the season. So, like, the waiver situation doesn't go away. And more than likely, they're going to need him. Uh, and I think he's played well. So it's it's kind of a, a crappy situation if you're Steen and you've played well enough where they're like, we got to send you down because we think someone will claim you. It's not really incentivizing great play. It's also like it's 
you're doing everything right, but you're not getting rewarded in that kind of situation, which would be a real bummer for him because I think he's played pretty well. All right. So what do we have next here? All right. Let's let us revisit the long list. Bridget, do we want to, since we kind of touched on potentially trading for a top six, I think we had one about like, how are they going to be able to um, make a trade? Yes. Jeff emailed us and said, given the cap situation, how can the Bruins make additions at the trade deadline? So Yes, I guess that kind of gets us into it. In this situation, guys, were you talking about when talking about trying to fill in a a top six winger? Were you talking about this being in like a situation that would happen before the deadline, though? Like, are you trying to make a move a little bit before that, or if you're really in need of a, a winger there? I know, obviously, well, they have other guys in the system but they're not top six wingers. Yeah. I mean, first off, I would say like absolutely no rush to do anything. You have the best record in the NHL. So I'm fine waiting until you get a lot closer to the trade deadline Um, on the, like, how do you do something with so little cap space? You do accrue cap space throughout the year. So we've, we've talked about this a little bit in past seasons, but you know, worth kind of reminding people like teams accrue cap space during the season. And that, so you end up with more cap space at the trade deadline to be able to add someone than you had on opening night. And according to cap friendly right now, the Bruins like technically right now have like $55,000 in cap space, but their deadline cap space is projected to be, a little under 2.7 million and they can now the one issue they've hit the little snag that they've hit here is they're using long-term injured reserve and you don't accrue cap space. If you have guys on LTIR and you're, you know, quote unquote over the cap. Um, so you want to get out of long-term injured reserve as quickly as possible. And again, Grizzlick due back by next Saturday, Lucic, could be back around that same time that would get them out of LTIR and they could start accruing cap space again. So, you know, already like 2.6 million isn't completely insignificant. Like that can lend you something, even if that's all you have, like there's obviously always an option to move salary out somewhere too, you know, maybe, maybe by that point, Mason Loray has established himself as an everyday player and, you know, one of Grizzlick or Forboard is is on the trading block because they've kind of been shuffled out of the lineup. Like, there's, I guess what I would say is like if the Bruins feel like they need to go get a top six winger, there's what there's always ways to make it happen. And when you think about last year's deadline, the Bruins moved Craig Smith's cap hit elsewhere to the Capitals. So, um, yeah, there's ways to to shed a little bit of cap there at the deadline. Um, and obviously we're still very far away from that. <laughs> we're not going to be in real, you know, discussion. Well, I'm sure we will, but like it, it, it's in the spring. <laughs> we have time uh, to, to talk about that and um, other trades like we've gotten into in the past. But I do think that as of right now, a top six winger is still the, 
the main thing that they would be looking to target. So um, they would, and for a top six guy, you probably do need more than 2.7 cap space, unless someone's retaining part of a contract somewhere. So you, there would have to be like an accompanying move, like Scott mentioned. Yeah. <clears throat> Nothing more to add. Scott kind of covered all those bases there and Bridget as well. Okay. And uh, so I don't know if we want to stick with Jeff's email because another question he had was, who is the most unexpected pleasant surprise? We can be quick about this because I think we've ta- we've touched on this a few times. Okay, I will say, uh, aside from the obvious, which would be Matthew Potter, I'm going to go with JVR. I, I think he's been a very, very – I mean, honestly, if you were to look around the league and look at the free agent signings based on what they signed for, he has to be the the best bargain and one of the best free agent acquisitions for any team over the course of the summer. Um, so I'll say James Van Riemsdyk. I'll say, so I'm going to say someone that I touched on a little bit earlier, but Derek Forbert, I think, is legitimately playing better than he was last season, um, especially at 5-5. Five and five. We know he's he's always had the penalty killing, but I think he's been really strong in his own zone, not giving up chances. I, I remember one of our early podcasts this season, I mentioned that he – had like some really sloppy breakout passes. And I was like, he's going to have to get that cleaned up or he's, he's not going to play like it's Laura. I will get a chance at some point and that'll be it. Well, I think he has cleaned that up. Like I can't, I'm trying to think of like nothing obvious is coming to mind, but I feel like it's been quite a while now since forwards had like a bad turnover on a breakout. I think he has cleaned it up and simplified and Again, as I mentioned earlier, like I know this isn't entirely his doing. Obviously, he can only be as good as the guys around him. But when you see eight to one goal differential when he's been on the ice, starting, I think it's like under twenty five percent of his shifts in the offensive zone. And like when he when he's on the ice, the Bruins are often starting in their own zone. They're not giving anything up, and then they're scoring at the other end. Like, what more can you ask out of out of a third pairing guy? Yeah, and in to stick with a defenseman that also I wouldn't say it's a pleasant surprise, and that we don't expect him to to be a good player every year. But Brendan Carlo has exceeded expectations as well. I think Brendan Carlo is having such an incredible season, and all facets of the game. He even scored the other day. Um, But mostly we're talking about his penalty killing and how he's been able to shut down offenses and um, how confident he's looked out there for the first part of the season so far. So I would say he's a pleasant surprise in that he's kind of taken a step even higher in his career uh, in, in what he's been able to do. And then I think that when you think about the the fourth line in general, every player that has been on the fourth line this year has been playing up to expectations and have all been um, not liabilities back there. And, and especially Johnny Beecher has been a pleasant surprise, similar to the way Matt Potter is that he was ready and has taken over that role and has really made it his. Like, I, I don't feel like we're at a point in the season where we're thinking, oh, was this the right decision? No, he's made 
it look like this is my job and I'm going to hold on to it for the whole season. So the fact that these guys have come in and don't seem in jeopardy of losing the job, they've, they've done everything they need to, to hold on to them. That's all pleasant surprises. Yeah. And just piggybacking on a couple of those players you mentioned, Bridget, starting with Carlo, I just feel like, yeah, I think you're you're wise to bring him up because he, in the latest behind the B, he was mic'd up for the Toronto game. And not only on the ice does he seem to be maturing, um, recognizing how uh, formidable he can be out there with his size and stature and his reach and his length and how good of a defender he can be. He's he's also added a little bit of physicality to his game that, let's be honest, just wasn't, not even like a, in like a Scott Stevens type of way. He's just a little bit more of a presence in front of his own net, a little bit more of a presence in the corners. That's all anybody was ever really kind of hoping he could do. Um, but from a leadership perspective, he seems to be, and I know Kevin Shattenkirk's back there, but he seems to be uh, somebody who has learned from, being under Zidane Chara, and I mean, hell, even Adam McQuaid, I think, may have been around the team when when Carlo broke into the league, and you know, he there were there were there were veteran presence um, guys back there, and I just feel like while Charlie McAvoy is clearly the he's he's the stallion on the back end, I feel like McAvoy is just so focused and so dialed in to his own game because he has to be because the minutes he plays and just the demanding role. I feel like it's kind of tough for him in game to also be that rah rah guy for some of the younger defensemen. And I feel like Brandon Carlo has just really taken these younger players under his wing and including Mason Lori. And uh, I, I think that that's worth bringing up. He's, he's stepped up in that way for sure. Yeah. And he wears yeah. the A like he wears the A he's become kind of a, a guy that we've heard Montgomery and others say has taken more of a role vocally in the locker room and on the bench and, in in particular with Mason Lori because those guys well, are kind of the lanky. Mac, do you mean McAvoy or, or I'm talking about Carlo. Carlo? Well, Carlo doesn't wear an A, but you, well, but yes, I think yeah, for like a few games here and there. But yeah, yeah like, you're right. Like he is stepping up as as a leader, and you saw that in that behind the B episode. Um, you know, yeah, McAvoy I think is just worried about catching his breath between shifts sometimes because he's out there so much. Um, yeah, by the way, with Carlo, also worth mentioning, he's playing nearly two minutes more per game than last year. Um, so, like, he does have, like, a little bit bigger role, too. And part of that is probably that last year there was, you know, to use the load management term, like, so many games are blowouts that they could just balance out the ice time between everyone. Um, but they've they've leaned on him more, especially during those four games that McAvoy was out. I mean... Carlo had one game where he got up over 25 minutes and it was like, I looked it up at the time. I think it was like the first time in two and a half years he had topped 25 minutes in a game. So um, yeah, just a really strong all around season from him so far. Yeah. And I want to clarify, I don't mean that Carlo was wearing the A this year in the past he had rotated in the A and I know he also is um, one of their ambassadors with the, uh, the, what's it called the um players association yeah he, he's their he's their player rep so he's the yeah. burns representative for the nhl so like he's, he's trusted with that role as well as an off the ice thing 